Somebody's not cooperating. <laughs> everybody. It's the weekly Coffee Time Conversations podcast from Gentle Parents Unite, Becoming Gentle, with Sujai Johnston, Vivek Patel, and me, Margie Zintz. So get yourself a cup of coffee or a cup of tea or hot cocoa or whatever you love. Grab yourself a notebook and a pen so you can jot down your thoughts and questions. Sit back and enjoy. This is season two, episode six, can you believe it, of our Coffee Time Conversations podcast. And uh, uh, this week, uh, we're going back to our presentation style format. And as always, I'd love to welcome Vivek. Hi, Vivek. Hi, Margie. Hi, how are you doing today, my friend? I'm really great, thank you. You sound great. I feel great. I feel great. I feel like uh, my mind is my mind is working today, so that's good. Well, that's yes. that's that's very good. Yes, it's fifty fifty usually. So yeah, yeah, I know. I <laughs> I hear that. <laughs> and I would also like to welcome Sujai. Howdy, Sujai. Hi, Margie. Hi, Vivek. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? I am doing quite well. Feeling feeling pretty energized. I love these conversations that we get to have. I can't get over that we get to do them. Mm. So, uh, as I said earlier, we're going to do a sort of a... A presentation style uh, podcast for you fine folks today. Let's see, Vivek, you're going to be talking about micro self-observation, the third in the micro series. Yes. Yes. And, and I'm going to talk uh, later about, okay, so this is going to sound silly, but it's called Life is Like dot 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 hmm. and Sujai you're going to get us started today you're going to give us your thoughts about healing and healing in certain circumstances so I'm going to mm-hmm. give the floor to you and uh, 
looking forward to hearing what you have to say. Mm. I am going to talk a little bit about healing while still dealing with some of the toxicity, some of the things still coming at us. Um, Basically, the question was about how we heal when we're still being exposed to harm. So I tried to write about this a couple times, and I find so many problematic intersections. First of all, I want to talk about, I understand that there's a lot of reasons why we could still be in situations while being exposed to some of the toxicity, some of the people and situations that may have caused a lot of our trauma to begin with. And there's a lot of a certain amount of financial privilege in telling somebody to just step away completely or to cut all ties. Certain, um, I find that, you know, a lot of people are living in situations with parents or in-laws or exes, um, people that there's been a lot of toxicity in those relationships. And as we're realizing it and seeing it, and yet a lot of people are unable to at this time, currently remove themselves from these relationships. And that's where a lot of it could become problematic on one level. And then, of course, we're talking about, like, how much harm are we talking about if people are physically safe, um, emotionally safe, if they're living in an environment where they're walking on eggshells, or if we're talking about something that's you know, a little bit less in your face where you have family that you're still interacting with. And um, for whatever reason, you haven't completely cut ties or you may not, you know, be at a place or even be planning on completely cutting ties, but you need to set new boundaries with people because certain harms continue to happen, whether they're microaggressions or whether they're really in your face damaging things. Of course, without looking at somebody's situation individually and understanding the levels of exactly what they're going through, it would be really hard to advise somebody exactly how to deal with their situation. And again, it would depend on the levels, exactly how exposed are you to this harm? What kind of boundaries can you put up? I would tell people that we're in extreme situations of either physical or extreme emotional abuse. But of course, the ultimate goal would to be to become aware and keep yourself as safe as possible and do your best to find ways to remove yourself from that situation. Even if that means going to a shelter, tapping into some other kinds of resources. Now, if we're dealing with a little bit lesser levels, if we're just trying to I think it's probably apparent in my voice, even how hard it is for me to really talk about this, because again, it's all of the problematic intersections and recognizing that people's situations can be beyond their control completely. And again, that there's a lot of privilege in telling somebody that, you know, they just need to do X, Y, Z, because X, Y, Z may not even actually be something that is available to them. So it would definitely be in more extreme situations, something that 
you would want to reach out individually to get some support about. Now, I'd rather talk about less extreme situations where maybe we have family that's always saying really toxic things and things are always just a bit uncomfortable. We feel demeaned around them or we feel degraded or we're constantly coming up against political differences or whatever it is that's affecting the relationship. As we become aware, and it's part of our unconditioning, as I talked about in a previous episode of Coffee Time, we become aware of why things make us feel certain ways and then we can make decisions about either putting protective boundaries around ourselves or putting greater distance between us and certain situations that are beyond our control to change. It really depends on who or what we're dealing with in a situation. For example, if we have a family member that lives close by and we spend a lot of time with them for reasons that are more obligational than comfortable. We feel like there's a lot of boundaries being trespassed. What we really need to decide is we have to look at that situation and we have to talk to the person clearly and let them know how we're feeling. And if our boundaries are received and they can understand that we want to make change and we want to move into healing with them, then there's a lot of ways to move forward in that relationship where healing can begin to happen. Unfortunately, change is painful and a lot of people prefer not to change and they prefer not to look at themselves. Having a deep look at yourself, as I'm sure most of you here in this group know, is really a painful thing to do. And having a deep um, look at our loved ones is a painful thing to do. But when we're asking a loved one to have a look at themselves, they may very much reject that because they're not ready to take on that pain or they're not ready to really understand or really grow. And it's at that time when we really need to decide what our boundaries are. And a lot of people were in situations for whatever reason, again, where Maybe we don't want to fully cut somebody out of our lives. And ideally, pulling, cutting somebody fully out of your life is, you know, depending, of course, and again, another intersection, what exactly are we talking about as far as harm? But of course, ideally, cutting somebody completely out of your life isn't exactly, you know, it's not your number one go-to. Family is family and we have a lot of love for them and ideally we can balance our relationships with them in ways that feel good to everybody involved we don't want to always either not go to family gatherings or get into arguments constantly with our families or just feel uncomfortable with our families when we're there ideally we'd love to go and be able to feel comfortable and to be able to have our boundaries respected so when we're healing and still exposed to these aggressions or microaggressions or things that are coming at us, it's kind of a process. And luckily, our brains are quick processors, so we can really like see things quickly and go through several different thought processes in our minds and evaluation processes fairly quickly within a matter of seconds, really. So we can just kind of pick up on these things and evaluate them. And over time, 
what we realize is that we have to decide picking our battles and we have to decide exactly how we feel about something and how we can balance that in our life. So say, for example, we have a parent that we love and we want to continue a relationship with them and they're not really particularly exactly open to any change at all. At that point, I think slowly imposing boundaries that are comfortable to you And the more that you impose boundaries, the more that you decide what your boundaries are, the more confident you're going to become in those boundaries. Really, once we understand what our values are and what exactly we find is acceptable and unacceptable for an environment that we're going to expose ourselves to, then we can set little boundaries around it. So you want to continue having a relationship with your parent and they're not really particularly interested in very much growth or accountability. Maybe you can cut back just a little bit on that relationship. Maybe instead of letting them impose themselves to just dropping by your house, ask them to message before they come over, for example, or if they call often and it can really be draining for you to talk to them. You know, maybe ignore the call and send them a text and say, busy right now, I'll talk to you when I see you on Tuesday. Or finding ways to really continue to love somebody and hold them at an acceptable distance, I think is really part of the process. And through the time, we'll learn because it really, it really is something that we have to evaluate over and over again and through the time we'll learn exactly what we're comfortable with and how much we want to continue leaning into or out of a relationship with somebody and it comes down to how reciprocative they are how much healing you can actually do together with them and how many boundaries you have to set around your own emotional well-being A lot of times when we set a boundary with somebody else, it's not something that we need to verbally tell them. Sometimes it is. Sometimes we have to say, hey, look, you know, there's, for example, I really don't want you to speak to my child in such and such XYZ way. So when we visit, how about if, you know, I'm asking you to leave the parenting to me and you can be a grandparent and just have an enjoyable relationship with your grandchild. Sometimes the boundary is something we set within ourselves. For example, there's a family dinner and you're going to decide, well, I have to go to this family dinner. So how much time am I actually going to spend there? They might, the expectation might feel like you should be there for six to eight hours. What feels good to you might be two to three hours. And honoring that and claiming that for yourself is part of your healing process of saying, hey, I'm not going to push myself past my comfort zones to be part of this family. And those boundaries, they're going to feel, they may feel uncomfortable to people at first, and they may respond quite negatively to them. Most people over time, when you continue to clearly and kindly state your boundaries and hold them by following through with what you need to do to make yourself feel comfortable in the situation, people begin to have a certain kind of a respect. And you also begin to feel more confident in the decisions that you make. 
really the biggest part of our healing process is to loop back to that conditioning. And you have conditioning that makes you feel like X, Y, Z is what's going to make this relationship work. And you have to expose yourself to certain discomforts and keep pushing yourself past these zones in order to please others. And being a people pleaser, as we know, is not exactly healthy for our own well-beings. And so when we look at why we're responding certain ways and we find who we truly are at our core, what we value, what is important to us, how we ideally would like our lives to be, and we begin to restructure our lives around that. And, you know, before the topic gets all problematic in um, financial privileges and how much harm are we actually still being exposed to and all of these heavy gray areas, our healing process is really about unconditioning ourselves and finding ways to honor ourselves, meaning we're not pushing ourselves past points that we've predetermined are uncomfortable for ourselves. And truly just leaning into who we are with a true acceptance that who we are is okay and everything that is important to us is an acceptable way to be. It's an acceptable lifestyle. It's an acceptable way to live. So if we just keep leaning into that cycle of learning something new about ourselves and deciding how we can accommodate ourselves within our own lives, then we do this dance around the things that cause pain and cause points of pressure. And we push slowly away from them and at our own speed, kind of like Margie was talking about last week with children allowing them their own speed as adults were really the same we need our own speed to really uncover what's behind everything and to be able to feel strength in taking our voice back and saying hey this isn't quite right for me and I'm okay with that so I think that's pretty much everything I have to say about the topic I hope I've spoken really clearly and um, really looking forward to Margie and Vivek's input on this as well. And if I've said anything that's hard to understand or problematic, please let me know. And I would love to continue talking about this topic more with all of you. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was powerful, Sujai. It was very beautiful. And I really felt the... Um, the deep connection that you have with the with the subject matter. In a way, I I kind of feel like it's um, like healing through adversity, or like through a situation that is uh, very challenging. It's almost kind of like walking on a broken leg, in a way. Mm-hmm. It, right, yes. and. There are some circumstances that in which in which we can do that, right? I mean, there there are some you know we have crutches, you know we get crutches, we get uh, you know an air cast or something like that. We put it on the affected uh, limb, and we 
and we adapt. And Mm -hmm. even during the need to be walking, we're protecting ourselves and and in so doing we're healing. I love that analogy, yes. Thank you. I just thought of it. Mm. <laughs> Maybe because I had sprained my ankle a few weeks ago mm. and uh I had to I had to be mindful of how am I going to function and allow this thing to heal even while I'm doing that and I thought of all the ad- adaptive measures I took, you know. Right, and that's really finding our tools to cope with the situation we have and to continue to keep ourselves safe while it's kind of pushing through life because sometimes, you know, the storm doesn't stop and we have to keep pushing through the storm. Absolutely, absolutely. And we can take shelter from the storm. You know, we can do that too. And that's also an important thing and... and, uh, Ironically, that word shelter comes up, and for some folks, it is necessary to get out of that situation. And Mm -hmm. it's important to be aware that sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes, it's important to ask ourselves if we're telling ourselves, giving ourselves the right information about the level of, of, of threat, you know? Mm -hmm. Yes. Because we can sometimes, I mean, I know I do this. I, I might downplay what, what could be going on so that I don't have to take the kind of action that maybe I, I ought to consider taking. And to that I end, do, I do that. I do that for sure. Hello. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How? Why does that not surprise me? Right. Yeah. So here's a here's a an example of doing that, and I've I've paid the price for this. I don't do it anymore. Uh, but I will ignore a reality so that I can keep doing something. For instance, driving while I'm tired. Mm. that's not smart and Mm. i have done it and i have um i have crashed into a telephone pole as a result oh my yeah so i that was literally the hard way of learning literally oh my gosh and so so that was a thing i ignored a reality in order to proceed on a course that I really wanted to proceed on, which was I didn't want to pull over. I just wanted to get home. And so there are other things that are like that, that we may delude ourselves into thinking, yeah, no, this is okay. I can, I can stick with this. Mm. But the reality is maybe not. And it's good to get a reality check from a disinterested third party Mm. sometimes. Mm. And to that end, I would like to invite anybody who's listening to this who is not, who has that niggling feeling in their gut that maybe, maybe this isn't okay, to just pick up the phone. Usually it's, the number is 211 
that is uh, domestic violence support. I think most states have that feature, but you can also Google domestic violence support in my neck of the woods and just call them and just tell what the situation is and tell what's going on. And they will listen. They will give you advice. And you are free to take it or not. And, and that's the important thing. So God, just being able to get with, as I say, a disinterested third party, somebody who's not, who doesn't have uh, skin in the game, but who is a, a caring person who wants to be helpful. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Not, yeah. I think that it's important, too, that folk take into mind that emotional abuse might be harder to spot, but it very much is just as real and just as painful. And the nature of it is to make us question our own sanity around it. But if you feel that you are being emotionally abused, then, you know, reach out, reach out. And I know that also even having resources to ask for help depending on what country you are in because in the states 211 yay <laughs> right um, in in other countries there may not even be resources there for you and or there's some resources they may be harder to tap into i don't know <laughs> it's but we do since we do have a worldwide audience but you know at least reach out to us and let us know what's going on and we can be that disinterested third party to try and help you research what might be available in your area as well and absolutely if you're yeah it's it's such a hard topic Mm -hmm. really brings a lot of pain to my heart to try and talk about it um Mm -hmm. having gpu for going on seven years now, I think, um, there's definitely an undertone of a lot of things that people are living with that I think might have even um, been one of the reasons that they turned towards gentle parenting and started reaching out for help in the group was kind of the antidote for all of the extreme ungentle in their own homes. Yeah. And so it, it is important to let people know that, hey, we, we understand and um, whatever resources may be available, we would love to, you know, hear your story and help you however you need help. And I think it's important to remember that we are not responsible for other people's bad behavior. And that's, I think, a huge part of that healing process is coming to that reality that if I'm with someone and they are unable to <laughs> they're unable to access their their kindness and compassion if they're explosive abusive violent i am not responsible for that i'm responsible for for my reactions but i'm not responsible for your reactions you're responsible for your own reactions other other person whom i'm interacting with <laughs> so it's important to remember that because one thing that uh, we hear a lot is um, gaslighting, that kind of gaslighting that says, you make me so angry. Mm. And that harkens back to two weeks ago when I was talking about 
uh, in our podcast a couple weeks ago when I was talking about uh, was the lying, right? And and I I have a particular beef with um, people who tell kids you make me sad when you lie. Right. It's it's the same thing. Mm. It, it's the same thing. You make me so angry. That's gaslighting. Mm. You know, and and I'm so glad you mentioned gaslighting because I think that's the missing word that I've been trying to tie everything together here with the conditioning and the finding our true self is that we have literally been emotionally gaslit our entire lives. Mainstream parenting mm. plan is gaslight your children to pieces. Absolutely. <laughs> and that is why we question our own feelings and our own intuition. And even when we know something's wrong, we still think we deserve it because our parents used to say things to us. I, I know my parents said this to me when they would spank me or hit me with objects. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And they would say, this hurts me more than it oh. hurts me. Oh, man. Sorry. Yes. That, I heard that more times than I cared to, I, to, to recall. Mm. And I also heard why are you doing this to me? Mm. My dad, a grown man telling a little kid, maybe seven years old, why are you mm. doing this to me? Mm. Huh? What? I'm doing something to you? Mm. Really? Mm. We, we, we need to be more durable for our children, just mm. as an aside. Can't yeah. be making that stuff about our kids' stuff about us. It's, mm. it's an unfair burden. And it, it interferes with peace and uh, wellness. For sure. You know, I saw a marvelous cartoon that relates to this subject. It was, uh, it was a couple of people climbing up a mountain. And on mm. the tippy top of the mountain, at the peak of the mountain, was, was the word goal. And these two people were climbing up the side of this very, very steep mountain and they were carrying together on their backs a huge boulder that dwarfed them. Mm. And the boulder was called self-doubt. Mm. And the one person said to the other person, you know, maybe we could get up this mountain easier if we put this down. Yeah. It's hard, hard to climb that mountain anyway. <laughs> carrying all the self-doubt makes it all the more challenging mm. and i i think it's really good when we're talking about healing even as we're in an, an adverse situation to ask what kind of self-doubt we're w stories we're we're allowing ourselves to believe mm. like i can't do this i can't do this alone I'm not worthy. You know, all of those stories that we have, those are those are part of that self-doubt boulder. Mm. And we can put them down. You know, I'd also like to bring up something about feelings is that sometimes, and this is really important to healing while still dealing with the adversity, is that 
the way we feel about something and the way that it affects us is so amazing and shifting how we feel about something is really really hard work Mm -hmm. Um, again applying this example a little bit closer to home when i was with my ex and i wanted this relationship to work out and i wanted my family together and the stories I told myself around that and the things that I thought I needed to shift in order to make it work. And so the way that I felt about it when these situations would happen, it was basically like verbal assassinate, verbal character assassination. Mm. Um, And so when these situations would come about, it was really devastating for me. I wanted to fix things, of course. I wanted him to see me for who I was, of course, which is something that I've accepted I, I will never get, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, which is important in a relationship with somebody that you are learning to set new boundaries with is recognizing that there may be certain things that you will never get from that person, like an apology or to have them see you for who you are or any of that. And that's part of shifting your emotions about it. So when I was really caring about wanting this relationship to happen and to work and to have my family together, when these things would happen, I was devastated. It tore me to my core. And I could spend three days in bed with a headache feeling awful and wondering how I could be a better person, how I could meet all of these expectations that were getting higher and higher because I kept trying to meet the expectations. And after I decided, and I literally had to decide, I am too good for this. This is as wrong as I think it is. It is Mm. absolutely as wrong as I think it is. It is. And I had to shift my thinking around that. And it took a lot of time to shift the way that I felt. And quite honestly, I I care about my ex quite a bit. And now I feel a lot more of like I could deal with him on a co-parenting level and we can even be friends. But when he starts doing that thing that he does, instead of devastating me, instead of hurting me, it does something else. It disgusts me. It it has no effect on my sense of well-being whatsoever because I shifted the way that I felt about it because I recognized it for what it was. And and I know this is hard to say because there's no blame around the way you feel things. Of course you feel terrible when somebody treats you that way. Mm -hmm. But as the shifting happens and you do this dance around it, you know, and getting out of a situation of long-term abuse. I was in that um, relationship for close to 14 years. So Mm -hmm. um, Mm. it takes time and we still have those gaslighting things that keep drawing us back in. And we still have these hopes that keep drawing us back in, but eventually you can completely shift the way you think, feel and see about it. And suddenly the effects that it has on you are night and day, night and mm. day. And um, I, I, I just want to change one verb from yeah. is to can be. 
And mm-hmm. that, that is in the sentence, uh, you know, doing this is hard. It mm. can be hard. And it also may be less hard. Um, you know, it, it, everybody's experience is different. And everybody's coming to uh, this epiphany of I am enough. It may be much easier than you think. I, mm-hmm. I just don't want I, I just don't want to set people up for an expectation that this is always going to be hard. Sometimes it isn't. For me, um, coming sometimes to it- yeah, sometimes it is. But for me, coming to I am enough was like flipping a switch. It was like flipping a light switch. It was when that wonderful friend of mine said to me, what if all the things that you learned to believe about yourself because of what your parents thought just wasn't true? Mm. And I had never considered that. I considered that they were the be-all and the end-all and they knew everything. And and if they thought it, they said it, then it was true. Just that one question flipped the switch for me and I was like hey hey wait a minute <laughs> you're right and and it, it got me to questioning really everything and all of my limiting stories and beliefs about who I am and what my worth is and what my value is and that was not hard work it wasn't mm-hmm. so I yes. just want to hold out possibility for you it can be hard work and it also may not be. So just be yes. open to having it be much easier than you think it's going to be. And, you know, I think um, lear- I, I really appreciate that because actually learning happens. I think I might have even talked about this when I talked about learning before. But learning happens in, in multiple ways, right? Like we do learn gradually through a lot of effort and a lot of sweat. That's one way of learning. Yeah. And, and, and some things, that it's, you know, some things kind of need to be learned that way. Yeah. Um, but there's also like, there's also like spontaneous growth spurts and learning and level ups, like Shujai likes to say, and, uh, and, and epiphanies, right? And yeah. we, have these, we have this other kind of learning that exists too. And I think that I like the idea of being open to both, right? Mm-hmm. It, can, it can be hard work and that hard work is, is, is beautiful. You know, it's not a bad thing necessarily. Yeah. And we can also have this, uh, this other kind of learning where it's just like the universe opens up to us in a moment. And often the two are connected. One often leads to the other. Sometimes like my epiphanies lead me to work really hard, you know? <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, and vice yeah. versa too. I think some of the hard work I do um, sets the stage for me being open to, like you said, be open to it, right? Being open to that epiphany. Yeah. Right, right. Whew. Great yeah. topic, great, great topic. Mm, I'm glad we were able to discuss this. It really is so intricate and hard. And Mm -hmm. the core of it, I think, is finding that value of I am enough. And as you guys were talking about before, just tell yourself little lies. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because you are enough. You are Mm. enough. And get yourself there to where you really believe it. And even if you can't believe you're enough, at least believe, at least believe that it is your basic human right to deserve more or to deserve better 
or even, even if you can't bring yourself to that, at least convince yourself that you do deserve to be respected. Mm-hmm. So true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, respect is our is our human birthright, and um, mm-hmm. yes, we're we're all entitled to that. Just because maybe we didn't get it or don't get it doesn't mean that it's not our human birthright. Mm-hmm. I absolutely. Agree a hundred percent. Every human and every creature on this earth deserves respect and deserves to be treated with basic decency. Except, of course, mosquitoes. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that's the one. That's where I draw the line. Mosquitoes. <laughs> you can love. You can love them as you kill them, Suja, uh, Margie. Oh. That's good. I love yeah. you. Bye. Yeah, but I, I, I do capture most everyone else. But oh, mosquitoes, okay. no. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, uh, we were, we were uh, trying to think of a title uh, for your talks you drive before. And, uh, and uh, one came to me while you were talking earlier. And I wanted to, sh- even if we don't use it, I wanted to share it because I think it's funny. Yeah. Uh, healing while dealing. <laughs> healing while dealing it, yes that's that's i'm sorry i'm making the executive decision yeah it <laughs> made me laugh so much because you said that you said that at one point you was like we're having to heal while we're dealing with all this so like healing while dealing yay <laughs> <laughs> that is so cool are you cool with that shajai love it i absolutely love it all right <laughs> Consider awesome. it title. Fine. Yeah. So let's uh, so let's just take a quick break and then okay. we'll come back with uh, the make. A break and then the make. So, Vivek, you are going to talk to us about a, uh, one of the micro-series, micro-self-observation. I can't wait to hear about this. Thanks. Yeah, the first one was micro-meditations, mm-hmm. and uh, the second was micro-self-compassion, and the third one is micro-self-observation. So yesterday, my mom, who you all met last week on the podcast, um, she and I were talking on the phone. And we talk almost every day. And uh, no, that's not true. We talk every day. And and, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and she was giving me some compliments yesterday. She was being very mom-like. And she was telling me that I'm very kind and very loving and blah, 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 blah. All sorts of lovely things. Very talented and helping people. And inside of me, I was like arguing with every single thing that she was saying. Mm. Every, every time she complimented me or gave, gave a positive observation or reflection, I would argue in my head. Mm. You don't know the truth about me. You don't know what I'm really like. If you knew the kinds of thoughts I was thinking, you wouldn't say that. If you knew uh, the things I've done in my life, you wouldn't say that. 
on and on and on. I had all sorts of uh, self-judgments just come up. And I was and I and I was wanted to argue with her. I wanted to say no, it's not true. Um, and then I wanted to. I just wanted her to stop. It was so uncomfortable. Yeah, <laughs> I just was like, yeah, yeah. I, I wanted to say, Mom, just stop it. <laughs> 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 oh goodness me. And uh, and then, but what happened was so, so my, uh, micro self observation. Uh, are these are practicing moments of of looking at yourself, observing yourself, seeing yourself. I'm going to explain it a bit more, but I've been practicing it a lot lately, because largely because I've been teaching it a lot lately. I've been practicing it a lot lately, and when we practice something, we get better at it. That's the wonderful thing about practice. We were just mm. talking about that, and uh, and and so and so as these thoughts were coming to me, just as I was about to say something, I had this spontaneous moment of self self observation. And suddenly I was watching, instead of, I was watching these thoughts. Uh, just, a, just a moment before, it was like I was thinking the thoughts. I believed in the thoughts. They were my thoughts. Yeah. Um, I, I, you, you wouldn't think that if you knew me. I'm not a good person, which means I'm not a good person. It's not true, Mom. It's not true, <laughs> you know. Mm. And we, just, we were just talking about how we got all these ideas implanted in us, right, early on. And, uh, and, and we don't believe we deserve these things. We don't believe we are these things. And so, uh, and so I was arguing in my head. But when I had this moment of self-observation, all of a sudden it was, it was kind of like I was watching myself have the thoughts instead of actually having the thoughts. And I could see them go by kind of like subtitles in a way. And I could still feel, I was still feeling the emotions. But in that moment, I was watching it happen. I was observing it. And because I was able to do that, it shifted how I was relating to the moment. And I kind of calmed down a little bit. <laughs> and then what I did was I quickly gave myself a self, a micro self-compassion. <laughs> Going back to the last, the last uh, micro podcast. And I said, I said, I said, Vivek, of course you would have these voices. It's okay. It's okay. You don't have to rush through them. Their natural feelings, and I let them, and I let them go on. So the micro self compassion allowed me to still feel the feelings and give myself empathy for it, right? Yeah. But it only took a second, and then I took a breath. Because <laughs> at that <laughs> point, I really needed to take a breath because I was really, I was so tense hearing her say all these nice things to me. I wanted to rebel, and so I needed to relax my shoulders, and I relaxed my shoulders, and I relaxed my back, and I took a breath, and so I did a micro meditation. I only realized this later when I kind of analyzed the uh, the event later, which was why I wanted to share it with everybody. Um, but I did all these things in, in rapid succession because I've been practicing this so much. So I, ha I suddenly became aware of myself having these thoughts. I gave myself compassion and empathy for it, and I took a breath, all within the space of like a second or two. Mm -hmm. And uh, actually, I have no idea how long it took. Because my mom was going on, so it could have taken. It could have been a little longer. <laughs> and uh, and then and then what happened was I shut my mouth. Instead of arguing, instead of saying those things, instead of saying "stop it," which is what I normally would do, often would do. I don't normally, but often. Uh, I just shut my mouth, and I really caught consciously. I said to myself, "Shut your mouth." <laughs> <laughs> 
I said it with compassion, but I said it very clearly. I was like, shut your mouth, Vivek. Just shut, shut it, shut. And uh, and and I just speak. I was just quiet. And so then all of a sudden now I'm now I'm really observing. I'm observing. I'm listening to her. She's still talking. She doesn't know any of this is happening because I shut my mouth. So she doesn't know any of this is happening. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm listening to her and I'm watching the thoughts go by and I'm observing myself. And now and then like I like and then I and I'm going to talk about this just now. Then I then I started observing myself, observing the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And at the end of all that, when she finished. I just said, thank you. Thank you for saying that. Beautiful. It doesn't mean I believed it all right away. It doesn't mean that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but, I, but it was a step, right? I stopped myself. I stopped myself from the habitual way that I, my patterned way of dealing with those moments. So, so, uh, I was, uh, was able to see myself and see the patterns of thinking that I have in that moment. That's one of the profound things about the micro self observation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is it allows us to see our patterns of thinking, and our patterns of thinking, which is another way of saying stories. Our patterns of thinking largely, largely dictate our experience in the world. Now, I say largely because, of course, circumstances are real, and if things are happening in your life, they're real. It's kind of like Sujai being a little bit careful to, about how. She, you were talking about uh, you were talking about uh, healing healing while dealing right healing while mm-hmm. while dealing with difficult situations. You don't want to say ignore it because and you don't want to say always run away. And then how do you talk about it without d- diminishing anyone else's experience? It's 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 always some of these topics. The deeper we go, uh, I think the more we want to care for not diminishing anyone else's experience. Right. At the same time, whatever experience we're in, the more tools that we have to manage it, the better our experience is going to be, the better our life is going to be, the better our, our ability to, to adapt, to, um, to manage, and even to, and even to alter our situation, the better our capacity will be to do that if we have tools that help keep us centered, connected to our source, connected to our deep wisdom. And uh, micro self-observations is one of those tools. Mm-hmm. So that's my story about how a micro self observation kind of saved me this yesterday when I was talking to my mom. Let me let me talk a little bit about the self observation itself. So micro self observation, the practice of it is kind of like a micro meditation and a micro self compassion, where they just happen in a very brief moments of time. It's not sustained practice. Sustained practice takes a lot of energy. Right. These are this is what I call gentle consistency. Right. Right. So we're practicing all the time, but in a gentle way when it comes to us in different moments. So a, a micro self-observation is where you're watching yourself doing what you're doing, watching yourself thinking what you're thinking and feeling what you're feeling. It's a beautiful thing. And I talked about it briefly in the past, in the past episodes, but I really want to focus on it because it's a little bit different than the meditation and it's a little bit different than, uh, than the compassion. In meditation, we quiet our mind for the one breath. In the compassion, we're actually talking to ourselves or feeling with ourselves. And, you know, it can, sometimes it's just a hug, but it's like this feeling, talking, feeling thing that's happening. Wow. Self-observation is a little different. Self-observation is like I'm watching myself. What I often do is I will pretend 
that I'm floating outside my body just behind me and I'm watching myself. Uh, I see the back of my head and I see my shoulders and I see my posture and I kind of watch myself. And then I'll and then as I'm watching myself, I'll do something. So like right now I'm I'm bending down to pick up one of my pens. And it's my uh, it's my Micron 05 art pen that I use to make my drawings. And I love it. I love this pen. It loves me. And uh, and and so as I'm as I'm picking it up, I'll pick it up with my body, but I'll watch myself pick it up from this imaginary place outside of myself. And I sit and I what I say is I do the thing and I watch myself doing the thing. Yeah. And and then uh, and then if I'm if I'm talking to someone, for example, and I and as I'm talking. I'll watch myself talking. I'll notice, hey, I'm a being who's talking. Mm. I'm talking as that being, but I can also watch myself talking. And if I'm listening to someone and I'm having thoughts as I'm listening, I can watch myself have those thoughts and watch myself listening to them. And it's like this, this, and, and I don't, I don't like, I don't like sit and scrunch my eyes up and like do it for long periods of time. I just notice it happening. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm listening right now. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm doing it right now. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting on my couch. I'm holding this pen that I picked up. I'm talking to you, and I'm watching myself do it. And uh, everyone who's listening, take a moment to do that. You're listening to me talk on and on about watching myself. So take a moment right now and watch yourself listening to me talk about watching yourself. <laughs> watch uh, the thoughts that come to you you know yeah. and what I do is, and then I let it go and I go on about my day that's the beautiful thing about the micro is letting it go so there's right. no stress right there's not or not no stress but less stress <laughs> there's never no stress <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but everything less falls stress. apart when there's no stress right exactly maybe that, yes. that's a limiting yes. belief but okay yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, so that's that's uh, so that's the practice of micro self observation, and it's it's really a beautiful practice. And what happens is when we practice something like that slowly over time, and sometimes not so slowly because we have those epiphany leaps like we were talking about. Yeah. Um, over time, what happens is uh, the self observation starts to happen spontaneously. It starts to happen to us. You know, mm -hmm. uh, we get used to it. Uh, and and we noticed these things happening, like it happened with my mom when I was talking to my mom, and it really helped in that moment to suddenly see myself, because then I was able to like, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to interrupt the pattern. I'm letting it go on, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not letting it control me. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna, gonna watch it. I'm gonna love it, which is what, and that's what turns it into, uh, stops it from being repression, right? But what I was gonna talk about was how the three of the micros work together as a unit, which is what happened to me with my mom. Okay. Um, but first, I just want to say one more thing about the observation uh, practice itself. And that's about what is, this, what is this observer position that we have? What is this witness that we are? Now, I don't know, first of all. Let me just say, I don't actually know. So <laughs> let's be clear about <laughs> <laughs> um, But I do know it. And I think that's what's important. That when I, it's like when I look at a baby, just popped out, shortly popped out, has no labels for anything, 
Uh, it doesn't really have a lot of repeated experience in our world yet, so there's no layers, no labels, no layers, or few. That there is an openness and a, a receptivity and a, a a purity, as in purity, as in kind of like unity of consciousness in that in that child. Mm-hmm. It's a witnessing everything, and hasn't seen it before it's just witness it doesn't look at a tree and think tree and see all the other trees in its memory you know when i'm looking at a tree i have to work so hard to see that tree yes (laughs) i have a tree thank you i have a tree just outside my balcony and i will stand there and i'll just stare at it trying to see that tree and i keep seeing other trees in my mind i keep seeing tree just tree and, and bark and leaves, or in this case, needles. I keep seeing that. I always say, oh, pine cone. And I have to, like, I really stop myself from trying to see just pine cone and see that pine cone. Mm-hmm. And, and kids are kind of like, babies especially, and kids generally are kind of always like that, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, that's one of the, one of the wonders of, of the, the, uh, the, the child mindset. Uh, and one of the things that I love learning from children is that, uh, that fre- the freshness of life, the aliveness of life. Yes. And I believe that the witness mindset that we practice in the micro self observation is that same pure witness that we're coming in contact with. Um, beyond words, beyond concepts. You know, babies have preferences. They know when they like something and when they don't like something. Right. But that's very different than opinions or concepts. You know, the the word that is coming to me is without prejudice. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To look at a tree without prejudice. Right. Yeah. Very interesting. And... Yeah. Uh, Right. And so because and the thing is that all of us have this baby awareness inside of us, yeah. it, didn't, it doesn't it doesn't disappear. It 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 it, it gets added to. And it certainly uh, it certainly can be integrated into our more uh, layered adult awareness, which is actually uh, we were we were talking about that earlier. Right. Um, about, a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Was it a couple of weeks ago? Well, yeah, about, it seems like about, it was just. Earlier today, it does right? seem like that. That's what it's like when you're when you're friends. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, about how uh, I remember it was like about how age, uh, still feeling the sense of that source consciousness, that awareness, and at the same time, my age has all these layers of awareness and patterns uh, on it. Mm-hmm. Micro micro self observation is about tuning into that 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 awareness uh, and the practice of that yeah. um, so that so that it becomes part of our experience now the like i was saying the micro self compassion what that does is it allows the micro self observation not to become a micro repression and because cool. <laughs> the tendency the tendency can be oh i see that i am sad now and therefore i am no longer sad because i am objective because i have achieved attachment and that's not what the, what i'm talking about right you know, in a way, it allows me to feel my feelings more authentically and organically uh, and in an embodied feeling of my emotions 
because I'm seeing them, I'm able to accept them and hold a conscious space for them. I'm able to feel them more. And yeah. when I discovered that, it really blew me away because I used to think that 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 by engaging in a practice of self-observation, it meant I had to be, and detachment, kind of like what detachment is, meant I had to be uninvolved. And I have since found that I, it allows me to be more involved, you know, which is just so wonderful. It's such a, a beautiful thing. Yeah. Uh, and then the third one, <clears throat> so the first one is, the, and the third one is, it's kind of funny how they, they kind of happened in the opposite order that I was teaching them in a way, because I taught first the micro meditation, because honestly, that's where I started with my practice. Yeah. And the other two, the other two kind of evolved organically out of it. But I noticed that I think in a way that micro self-observation kind of happens first, because that allows us the moment to give ourselves compassion and then to take a breath. Sure. That makes complete sense. Yeah. yeah. And so the third one was after I I actually think I actually think the, the micro self-compassion and the micro meditation probably can happen in different orders depending on the situation because I can imagine myself needing a breath before I give myself compassion mm -hmm. and I can imagine myself needing to give myself compassion before I can relax enough to take a breath. I could see both happening. <laughs> right, right. I, and I just uh, am noticing too that the time and the order of things is, is yeah. our um, 3D construct that may not apply on a, a higher plane. Sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah, because I think a lot of the time those things happen overlapping or they happen simultaneous and we yeah. kind of notice it in retrospect. I think that's yeah. very true, actually. We kind of yeah. notice it. Because I said with my mom, the whole thing just kind of happened and then I kind of broke it apart in retrospect, right? Yes, yeah. I think, I think that's a very good point. Thank you, that helps. Sure. So here's, here's now me wanting to give another plug for SMABO. 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 SMABO, stand, <laughs> SMABO stands for Small Moments Affect Big Ones. Yeah. And I can say without a doubt that the, the, that the, the SMABO practice for self-observation, self-compassion, and self-meditation, uh, micro-meditations that I've been doing, um, and I've been doing it a lot because I've been teaching it. And when I teach something, I really like to make sure I'm doing it <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, and living it as best as I can, you know? Yeah. Um, I, don't like to, I don't like to teach something and then cross my arms to watch everybody else do it. Right. Um, and I'm kind of, when I, unless you have the context, you wouldn't know that I'm kind of making fun of martial arts teachers when I say that, because a lot of martial arts teachers will teach something and then, and then they'll kind of stand back and watch their students do it and they'll just walk around, but they're not actually really in it, doing it, struggling with it, learning it. Oh my God. I, you, you just blow my mind, Vivek. Oh, tell me you, why. Oh, because... Uh, you know, every week I I teach a music class, uh -huh. and um, I I always it's I'm always part of it. Like I always play with them. Mm -hmm. I don't tell them what to do and then sit back and and you know I'm of course present and listening and right and and really uh, you know afterward we talk about it and everything. But I'm always playing with them, not. Mm -hmm apart from them right so <laughs> i'm sorry it was yeah. just oh it's beautiful yeah ah, i just love that yeah for sure and i was certainly like that with my martial arts students yeah uh, and uh and so i've been practicing the point is i've been practicing uh uh the three micros 
Mm-hmm. And and when I and when I really when I really needed it um, in that moment with my mom, um, hi mom. When I really needed it in that moment <laughs> with my with my mom, they came they came to me so well. Like the mic. And actually, it's funny because actually, as I was having the observation, I was like, oh, this is micro self observation. I should write about this later. And, and <laughs> <laughs> I had that brief thought go through my mind. And uh, and, so, and so and so and so like, what's that? What's that? That is really the lovely thing about self-awareness is <laughs> we begin to see ourselves seeing ourselves seeing ourselves. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. I'm like, whoa, I yeah. saw myself doing this and I was doing that. And oh, my goodness, <laughs> I saw my observing person doing this. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so it's really beautiful. And it's and it's challenging at first because, again, you, you what happens often is. You'll go a whole day and you won't do it. And you'll think, oh, crap, I didn't do a single micro self-observation today. I suck. And then, <laughs> but hey, that's but when you, when you, or yesterday, like I didn't do any yesterday. I might as well give up the practice. That's the time to do a micro self-observation or a micro self-compassion right there. Um, but that's the beautiful thing about the micro is it's just mo- our moments are always with us. You know, our moments are always with us. Every moment is a new moment for us to give ourselves that micro. And the mm-hmm. practice is the practice is lifelong. I mean, Lord, my kid's uh, 22, and I'm still practicing, right? Yeah. So, practice is a practice is a beautiful uh, a beautiful thing. You know, the dance form that I do. I'm also a dancer. The dance form that I do is called contact improv, and I love contact so much. I don't know if I have I talked about it on a podcast yet. I don't know if I have. No, you have not. Have not. So have contact not. is. Contact is uh, contact improv, and you should, if you want to watch it, YouTube contact improv. It's it's an amazing dance form. It's an entirely improvisational partner dance form, and by impro- entirely improvisational, it means that there is no repertoire of steps that we pull from to do this dance. There is no memorizing of any choreography. There is no rhythm that you have to follow or counting. Um, it's entirely based on listening to yourself and to your partner and co-creating a movement experience together. Mm-hmm. And there's no leader and no follower either. And there's no gendering in that. It's all a completely open, collaborative experience. And I love it. Mm. Um, I love the um, philosophy behind it, and I love the physical practice of it. And it's really physical. And we, what we do, though, instead of having rules and, and, and choreography, which I'm not putting down, by the way. I also enjoy those experiences. But what really, I really love this. And uh, it's really my thing. I love contact improv. And what we do have is principles and guidelines. Ah, now you're talking my language. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and 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 deep tuning in to ourselves and the other person, right? So it's very alive. It's very human in that sense. Yeah. And of course, certain principles are around safety, but also around momentum and gravity and and weight sharing and flow and falling, and uh, and and guidelines around you know uh, how we communicate, how we touch, and all sorts of things like that. So there's a lot of safety involved. The safety yeah. is there so that we can take bigger risks when we're actually exploring the dance because it's improvisational. You never know what's going to happen. Right. <laughs> and it's so much fun. Now, I've been doing contact for about 15 years. Mm-hmm. 
And one thing that I uh, now that I'm I'm like 50 and I'm doing I'm I'm uh, dancing with a different body and I've been dancing after many years. One thing that I have noticed is I get very interested in the millimeters of this dance. Um, doesn't always have to be a big lift. There's lots of lifts in contact because we're working with momentum and gravity as so we go flying up into the air. Yeah. And uh, and at the same time, sometimes what'll excite me the most in the dance is just a subtle shift in our weight. But we did it so perfectly together and we were listening so intensely to each other that it's this like moment of, of really enjoyment for me. And I really care about those small, small millimeters. And when I'm caring about those millimeters and I really feel them deeply, then when I am flying on someone's shoulder or going like in some big move, uh, my appreciation of it is so much more and my facility with it is so much more because I've paid attention to the millimeters in other moments. Smabo. Smabo. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Thank oh, you. Wow. Thank so you cool. For getting it. Yeah. And, and, and that's, and, and so when, you know, when I share things like micro self-observation and, and you have like poop on the walls and dishes in the sink and the dishwasher just like the dish, the, the clothes washing machine just broke and you can't afford to pay for it. Cause like my life is like that all the time. Well, not all, not poop on the walls anymore, but, it, <laughs> but, like, but like, I get it. Like, I know that that's life is like that all the time. It's like, why, how can I pay attention to micro self-observation? Mm-hmm. But it's kind of the same as the dance, because life is a constant improvis- contact, improvisational dance. We're in True. constant contact with life. It's pressing on us, and we're constantly, and, and we don't know what's going to happen, and we're doing our best to manage it. We're in a constant contact, improvisational dance with our lives. And when we do take the time to slow down and, and, and slow down inside and pay attention to these millimeters, it really does affect the broader dance that we experience. Wow. That's why in this in this Patreon especially I'm tr- I'm trying to like I really want to share things that are millimeters like this so that we can re- it really helps us work on our uh on our deep uh you know our deep experience with things. Wow. Yeah. I I, I have to say that your your piece that you just shared dovetails in a spectacular way mm-hmm. from what Sujai was talking about. Mm-hmm. You Tell know, me. well, you know, certainly these micro self-observations, you know, in the midst of an unpredictable, perhaps even uh, terrifying, but terrifying, but certainly challenging situation, mm. we can look at those um, micrometers, you know, the, the, the tiniest things, mm. we can see ourselves in the moment, see our reactions and our responses and the stories we're telling ourselves. Mm. And that can be very healing in the very moment. Mm. So I see a huge correlation between what you just said, this whole thing you just gave us, which is magnificent. Thank you. And, and what Sujai was talking about. Yeah. Wow. That was really powerful. Thank you, my friend. And I think that's all I got to say about that. Wow. So one thing occurred to me in the the beginning that I I just wanted to, it's very tangential, 
it's yeah. tangential in the extreme. <laughs> okay. But so it's just a like a footnote maybe. Yeah. And that was uh, to to you the listener when I was imagining myself being in your shoes, Vivek, listening to my parent uh, gush on me about yeah. what a great person I am and, and, and all of that stuff and how you, how you were feeling um, like, you know, you don't know, you know, you don't know all the bad things I've done and, you know, right. and, and you were using it as a, as a cudgel against yeah. yourself. Yeah. I, what I wanted to observe is that that is, is what we do. <laughs> we humans do that. We, we hear kind things about ourselves, especially things that are follow, especially adjectives that follow you are, you're so smart, you're right. so brave, you know, you are this, you are that. Right. And I, I actually wrote about that very briefly over the weekend, I think, about labels. Right. Maybe, maybe it was last week. And we often kind of put labels on people. I know it used to mm -hmm. happen to me a lot where mm -hmm. someone would say, you're such a good problem solver mm -hmm. or, you know, you are so wise. And a, a knee jerk reaction is, yeah, well, I wasn't wise that time or, you know, some right. way of discounting it. Right. And it's important for us parents to be yeah. mindful that when we say things like that, we can we can sort of invoke a res a reaction like that in our kids. Right. And the and the workaround, because there is a workaround, is yeah. rather than rather than describing the person, describe right. the action. Mm. So instead of saying you're so brave, say oh when you did this this and this. That, that was a pretty brave thing to do, mm. you know, because nobody can argue with that. Right. You know, right. Right. And, and so it's really helpful to describe actions mm. rather than people. Mm. And you'll probably be able to uh, do well. I agree that practicing micro, practicing micro self-observations in moments of distress or when you feel like maybe you're under emotional attack or something, things don't feel just quite right in your life. I think that it's a really good time to practice those micro self-observations so that you can dig in later and really process exactly what you saw from a more third-party point of view, if that makes sense. If we're able to observe what's going on with us and around us and to us and what we're doing in those moments. It really helps us kind of disassemble and understand exactly what we're going through. It, it, really, it really helps us later when we go to evaluate understand more clearly what's going on because when those emotions get heated and everything's really intense we're already programmed with our brain's responses not to be seeing what's going on super clearly so um taking a third party view such as a micro self-observation is a really good way to take notes for later 
um, so to speak. Interesting. That's cool. Yeah. Mm. That is very cool. You 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 really brought out a a cool fine point about this sujai that that that's so spot on. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Awesome. What an awesome practice, Vivek. Thank you so much for sharing with us. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. So we're going to take a little break, and when we come back, we'll talk about life as though we haven't been all along. This is going to be short, believe it or not, because uh, I know usually I can I can go on. But this is a tiny little thing. This is a little observation and a, a story. And I'm hoping that it ties in with what Sujai had been saying today and certainly with what Vivek had been saying. And um, so th- so here we go. This is, this is called Life is Like dot, dot, dot. So you might have noticed if you've been around me for any length of time that I happen to be one of those people who, who likes to question everything. I question my stories and I question my, my beliefs and um, I try to help other people do that too. Uh, and uh, sometimes, you know, so I can be actually pretty critical and I can I can really scrutinize things like, you know, when someone says life is like a bowl of cherries. My first thought is, is it really? I mean, maybe it's more like a mango or a box of chocolates or a banana. Or maybe it's more like a five course meal at my favorite restaurant. <laughs> uh I don't know. And and then I ask myself, can life really be like any other thing? And that can sort of sound like I'm pretty like concrete. And I don't really think I'm a, a concrete. I I like and use metaphors and similes and aphorisms all the time. They're they're my favorite thing. Uh, but I just like to examine them and question them and either accept them or reject them uh, based on whether I think they hold water. So having said all of that, I have noticed that like life is like a river. Or, better yet, life is like kayaking down a river. And the more I test this little nugget, the more I find it to hold up. So I'm going to tell you a story about how I came to that. Many, many years ago, my very sweet friend Nancy invited me to spend a day kayaking with her down the Delaware River, which is um, it's a river in, in our part of the world. It's a, it's a fun river to kayak and canoe on and raft down. And when she invited me, I thought, oh, yeah, that sounds great. I'm going to really love that. That's going to be fun. 
Uh, and I said, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Because we didn't have like a date in mind. So she she put a date, you know, she made a date for it. The thing is, I, I know about this river because I've grown up around here. And the, that river has, you know, calm spots, but it also has its its fast spots. And I've never really been one of those folks who's been a thrill seeker. I'm not like an evil Knievel. I, I don't go on carnival rides that are much faster than a merry-go-round. And I'm, I'm all right with doing cross-country skiing, but downhill? Nah, thank you. No, thank you. I'm not interested. So kayaking on a lake? Absolutely. But whitewater kayaking? Yeah. I don't know. But I said uh, I, I'm one of those folks who doesn't like to say no to things. And um, I kind of, I'm a yes person. I like saying yes. I like being open to things. So I said yes. And she scheduled it. And as the day grew near, I, I was getting like really agitated and uneasy. And I was annoyed with myself for saying yes. Why had I said yes? I could have just as easily said, let me think about it or something like that. But now that I said it, it would be uncool of me to back out. So <laughs> I actually remember praying for a snowstorm in July. Anyway, that didn't happen. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, I'm, guessing, I'm guessing you didn't get the snowstorm. No, no. When the day came and it was summer still, even. Okay. <laughs> it was actually a gorgeous day. It was beautiful. So my buddy Nancy picked me up and we headed west to the river. And Nancy, a loving and sensitive person, was probably picking up on my apprehension. And that may be because I told her I was scared shitless. So she patiently and gently explained to me some wonderful principles about kayaking down the Delaware River. First... She poignantly stated that kayaks do not want to capsize. They don't want to smash into rocks. And in fact, kayaks are designed so that they will stay afloat and follow the flow of the water. She said, especially if you don't do something that's against the craft's nature. If you avoid doing things that are against a kayak's nature, it will stay afloat and it won't crash into a rock. So the underlying principle of successful whitewater kayaking is that one must trust the kayak. Trust. Without trust, you're liable to oversteer. And then you could cause the kayak to move in a way it wasn't designed to. And then you go into the water which is a theory I would later test and prove. Yay me. So Nancy advised me to actually lift my paddle right out of the water during the whitest parts of the white water and just trust the kayak. So I ask you, how is this not like life? It's totally like life. Trust. Okay. So we get our kayaks and our paddles and our life 
jackets at the kayak rental joint in Matamoras, Pennsylvania. And then they drive us upriver to the launch point, which was however many miles away. And uh, we put our kayaks in and we start out. And where we launch from, the water is really calm and it's almost lake-like. There, there is a current, but the water isn't churning and there's nothing really to quicken the pulse yet. It's just a peaceful, easy float as we go down and we're rolling along. But as, we, as we're rolling down the river, we start to hear something ahead. It, it reminded me of like the foreshadowing in a Stephen King novel, <laughs> like the music or something. I guess you don't have music in novels, but like a movie. Anyway, Nancy lets me know that that, that means that we're getting close to some rapids. So my heart rate quickens. And as we start going into these rapids, I follow my friend's advice and I hoist the paddle completely out of the water and I trust that the kayak will flow with the current around these rocks and obstructions and damned if it doesn't work, it works. It works that way for each set of frightening rapids. It's all still pretty scary to me, but as long as I trust the kayak and the river, I sail through each challenge absolutely unscathed, just a little wet from the spray and the sweat, but I'm all right. Now, there was one time when things didn't go so well, and it was we had just come through a bunch of rapids, and we were in pretty calm water, and I was feeling a little, you know, a little sure of myself, and Nancy said, hey, let's go over and, uh, and beach over there. There was a, a shoreline. And I was um, like, yeah, totally. So I did something that was against the nature of the kayak. I oversteered and uh, into the water I went. And the water was really deep. And that was a bummer. But as you can tell, I lived since I'm still breathing and talking. So, uh, so that's my, that's my kayak story. And now I'm going to try to give it a little context. Th that was from a blog post that I'd written a few years ago. And the thing is, I, I remember waking up with this story kind of writing itself. And I really wanted to capture it before it all faded away. And I'm glad I did because otherwise I would have forgotten. And um, I remember at the time that this story uh, came back to me. It was that um, I I could hear a set of rapids up ahead in my own life. And when those things happen, my pulse qu quickens with the anticipa anticipation and also apprehension. And, you know, I kind of appreciate that. You know, I have done this enough times in my life to know that I can trust my boat and I can trust the river I'm in. It's true that sometimes the water gets really low and I might have to portage the kayak for a little distance, but I'm, I'm strong and I'm up to the task. I also know that I have the support 
I may need to do that should it become necessary. And I'm also ready to give a hand to my loved ones who may need to portage their kayaks. So, yeah, I could stay on a lake where there are never any rapids and there's very little chance of me capsizing. It's beautiful on lakes and it's interesting and it's peaceful. And with the lake, however, you're not really taking any risks and you don't really go anywhere except around in the lake. Rivers can be pretty risky and scary, but if you're willing to trust the kayak and the river, you can go pretty far, just like life. And that is, that's what I have to say about life is like. And I don't know if anybody needs or wants to hear that, but if they do, I hope it's helpful. So it's so amazing listening to this story, actually, because you're talking about the kayak and the river. And it brings me back to my childhood, actually. I was a teenager. Um, I was 16, and I was just about to embark on a trip to Bolivia, where my mom was living at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, the year before that, I went to Peru with my mom, and I had been back for a few months, and I was going back to Bolivia, and I was in the car with my dad on the way to the airport, and my dad was, he was always pretty good with that advice, that life advice in the moment, and he imparted me this piece of life advice that, um, call it an aha moment or something that really, really resonated and stuck with me, and something that I've used throughout life. And he told me, I want to think back to his exact words, because it was powerful to me then. He told me when you're out there in the world, things are going to be happening. And life may feel like it's going one direction, and you may feel like you want to go a different direction. He said, just take a second and go with the flow, because where the flow leads you, is where you're supposed to go. And anytime you're fighting that flow, things are going to get tougher out there. And the more you go with the flow, the more doors will open and the more magical things are going to be available to you. And I took his advice to heart on that adventure. And I took his advice to heart in life. And you'll often hear me say this phrase, adjust your sales. And yes, literally talking about being out there in the water and the wind is blowing against you adjust your sails turn them around and go with the wind and see where that takes you because that's the direction life is leading you right now and the Mm. more you fight it the harder it's gonna be and uh, um it, it comes down to so many topics in parenting like perspective and power struggles and Mm -hmm. um creating yes spaces in our lives. Um, You know, if the flow of life right now is that your child's trying to open all of the cupboards in the the kitchen, go with the flow, put some pots underneath there and adjust your sails to it, you know, move your knives up higher, lock up your knife cupboard and give the kids some cupboard time and just flow with it. Don't fight that. Don't try and close the cupboards every time. Don't think you want mm. to teach them a lesson by not putting a lock on the mm. knife cover, whatever it is, you know. Mm. Find ways to make it comfortable, make it acceptable. Find ways to adjust your sails and go that direction. 
because swimming upstream <laughs> and fighting the wind often end in wrecking the boat. And it's the same with life. I really feel that. So yeah. it brought me back to my childhood sitting there in the car with my dad on my way to Bolivia. Um, just hearing you talk about that going with the flow and really just feeling where the kayak was taking you and um, it, really beautiful presentation. I really love the topic. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I, you know, sometimes it's worth it to try to go upstream, but usually not. <laughs> mm, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes but, it's worth it to try and go upstream, but your best bet is to get off the river and walk back up. That's the, the port. That's the portage part. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. right. Yeah. You know, if if the flow is taking you to somewhere that is but dangerous, definitely worth addressing. If the yeah. flow is taking you to a pile of rocks, get off the river. <laughs> mm. One thing that I found interesting and similar about both of your stories, where you both in different ways learn to trust the flow, flow and learn to take your oars out of the water, um, was that the inspiration came from someone who was offering their experience and their their wisdom to you. Cool. Um, in your case, it was the your friend being a guide for the kayak, and in your <laughs> face, in your case, it was the your dad dropping you off. And you know, this is the kind of when I when I talk about uh, model guide friend as the three relationships to focus on in parenting. This is the guide aspect, which is so valuable. You know, your uh, your friend didn't tell, didn't say, if you don't keep the paddle out of the water, I'm gonna toss you in myself. <laughs> 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 and and that somehow that's gonna teach you to keep the paddle out more effectively in the future. Right. Uh, your friend said, here's the information. Here's what what you need to do to keep us to keep us both safe, and let's work on this together, and let's learn this together, and and they gave you the information you needed, and they you even said they tuned into your emotional state at the time, and they gave you information helping you with your emotional state. So they were tuned in, they had their own body of knowledge, and they shared it with you in a way that was most helpful. And uh, and when I heard you, Sujai, talk about your dad, I was like, oh, thanks. My, my first thought was, thanks, dad. I really needed to hear that. Yeah. And, and to get wisdom like that from a parent, it's so... God, it's so nourishing. It's so valuable. And mm, uh, so I really love those two examples of, of like how important it can be to be a guide um, and, uh, and how we can do that consciously with our kids, too. It's so such an opportunity. Mm -hmm. My dad, with whatever shortcomings he had, he was really good at that. And some of the most, the most useful advice that's ever been imparted to me and in the most comfortable, most palatable ways was um, in car rides with my dad when he would mm. take on the morning or when we were going somewhere together, just the two of us. That was when things had a chance to get really deep and connected. And he was able mm. to share those deep insights and wisdom with me in a way mm. that I ate them up. I was like, you know, it was almost like a counseling. A lot of those times riding in the car with my dad as a teenager and the way that he guided me were really formative to who I am today. And I'll always be wow. really grateful to my dad for that. 
Wow. Oh, that's beautiful. It's quite lovely. Well, it, this may be a good note to end on because this is mm. it's going to be a a nice long conversation. So, friends, uh, we will catch you next week. Be well, everybody. Yeah, thank you. Alrighty, that's the show. Thanks for listening. If you have thoughts or questions about anything we spoke about today, or even something we didn't talk about, send them to any one of us during the week, and perhaps we'll be answering yours on next week's pod. So tune in next week and every Tuesday to hear more from Sujai, Vivek, and me, Margie. Wishing you a gentle and enjoyable week full of love and learning. Be well and be kind. Bye-bye.